And uh, the passage is uh, from Acts chapter 10. It's from the New Testament part of the Bible. Okay, you might remember Matthew, Mark, Luke and John, and then you've got Acts. And so in Acts chapter 10, verses 1 to 4, this is what it says. It says, uh, it's actually talking, it's, it's a story that unfolds over, uh, over a chapter, whole chapter 10 of Acts. I'm not going to read the whole chapter to you, but I want to read the first four verses. And it's to do with a, a one particular man that you'll see in this story. Uh, it says, at Caesarea, uh, there was a man named Cornelius. Interesting name. Um, a century, he was a centurion, sorry. <laughs> a centurion in what was known as the Italian Regiment. He and all his family were devout and God-fearing. He gave generously to those in need, and he prayed to God regularly. One day, at about three in the afternoon, he had a vision. He distinctly saw an angel of God who came to him and said, Cornelius! Uh, Cornel Cornelius stared at him in fear. What is it, Lord? he asked. The angel answered, Your prayers and your gifts to the poor have come up as a memorial offering before God. I'll just repeat that. Your prayers and your gifts to the poor have come up as a memorial offering, offering before God. Uh, just a little bit of the backstory, so I can fill you in here. Um, uh, uh, this talks about a certain centurion. Uh, so a centurion was a man who led, a, uh, he was the captain of a group of soldiers. Uh, generally, the number of soldiers in his battalion was a hundred. Uh, if you know anything about the word hundred, you'll realize that, that another word for a hundred is a century. That's a century, isn't it? And thus, we get the name centurion uh, for, um, that uh, is the name for a man who oversees a hundred other soldiers. And that's the name. To be honest, uh, the name, uh, actually, it isn't necessarily a hundred. It was anywhere from 80 to a hundred soldiers that a centurion would look after. Uh, the other interesting thing about centurions and interesting in regards to Cornelius is that centurions, um, these army captains, were usually pretty ruthless type of men. Uh, they, they thought nothing of beating uh, the soldiers under them. Uh, they thought nothing of taking bribes uh, by uh, giving that to, from the soldiers so that they treat them better. And so there was a ruthless element to being a centurion. Um, the interesting, why I find that interesting, is because we see in Cornelius' case uh, that he was very much countercultural uh, to what centurions were like uh, because it talks about, uh, it mentions a couple positive things about his character here, but in the rest of the passage, uh, we won't read all of it, but it talks about how he was liked by the local people. He was appreciated. And that wasn't common amongst centurions. And so this man has uh, obviously integrated himself into the community and done some pretty uh, uh, wonderful things. And I'd have to say, as it indicates here in the passage, that I think a lot of that has contributed to his relationship to God. He's a believer in God, okay? Which was, again, a very rare thing amongst centurions. And so... Um, now, that's all very interesting, and, uh, but what's even more interesting to me is what the angel said to Cornelius, and the thing that, what was said, it says, your prayers and the gifts to the poor have come up as a memorial offering <coughs> before God. So here we go. Um, um, here we see uh, uh, Cornelius, uh, as he prays, 
an angel turns up, and uh, I want to say that's interesting enough. Uh, if I've never had an angel turn up in my prayer time. Uh, if anybody has, I'm sure we'd all know about that because it's something you'd share. Uh, but that's pretty amazing. That's pretty interesting right there. <coughs> but the interesting thing is what he says to Cornelius. He says, you know, there's something that has, uh, has, uh, has attracted God's attention here, and it's your prayer life, and it's your giving to the poor. And, and he says it's like a memorial. And it's interesting that he would say the word memorial because the word memorial is often referring to when you place some type of plaque or statue to remember a person in history who's done something pretty amazing throughout history in the world. And we have memorials to the, the, the you know, the... Um, uh, to the uh, lost soldiers at Anzac Day, we we gather around memorials and parks, and we and we honour those who've gone before us and uh, defended our nation. And and so, what's happening? So, what is the angel saying? Is is that Cornelius, the things you do, your actions are actually coming before God, and God sees you, and you're renowned. He, he's seeing that you're known for those type of activities. And then he says, it's not just a memorial, but it's an offering to God. And, and, and so quite clearly uh, what's happening, what that means is that these things that you're doing are actually not just to other people, but they're being offered up and God recognizes that. And as if you are not just doing it to people, you're doing it as if you're doing it to God as well. And God receives it like that. And so there was something pretty particular and special about Cornelius's activities that attracted not just the community, but also the people, but also God himself. And thus God sends this angel um, and he says this and, and he highlights and the angel highlights. He probably could have said a lot of things to Cornelius, but he highlights the actions of Cornelius. He highlights his prayer life and his generosity to the poor. Um, and it was, so I, I was thinking about this, and I was thinking, why does God make comment about these two particular things? Because at first it puzzled me, and I'll tell you why it puzzled me. You, you think, why would you be puzzled by that? Isn't it a good thing? Of course it's a good thing. But it puzzled me because in, we see in another part of the Bible in the Old Testament, God says this. God says, um, He doesn't look at the outward appearance, but God looks at what? The heart, doesn't He? God doesn't look at the outward show, he looks at the heart of people. And I, and I was trying to just um, put this into context because it seems to me that God here, through the angel, is commenting on the outward things here and not on the inner things of a person's heart. He's commenting on Cornelius' ability to pray and his ability to give and not commenting. And so I was just trying to, it was perplexing me. And so, you know, the truth is we could say God is commenting on the actions rather than the attitudes. And the inward attitude here is spiritual hunger on Cornelius' part, but the outward action is prayer. The inward, the inward be action here, um, sorry, the inward attitude here is a compassion for the poor, but the outward action is giving to the poor. And God, through the angels, commenting on his actions rather than his heart. So why in this case would God be doing that? And to answer that question reveals, I found out, an incredible truth or principle that can make an incredible difference in your life and my life this morning. Incredible difference. In actual fact, this morning you were engaging in this principle. Uh, if today you, you were singing. Um, and so let's dive off into it for a moment because first of all, um, let me just say this. God uh, looks at the heart. First, God does look at the heart. 
And God is a kind of a heart kind of guy, okay? And he's not into superficial displays, and he's not into outward actions seeking attention. He's not into that. He is a, he is a, 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 a heart type person. But as much as God is, is, uh, looks at the heart, he eagerly awaits for the outward expression of the inner passions that you have. He eagerly awaits for the outward expressions. Um, because, which I suppose we could say actions, but we could also use the word expressions. And so while he looks at the heart, he looks for your response to your heart attitudes. And he takes, he takes time, and just as he did with Cornelius, because what's on the inside in that maybe a spiritual passion or a, or a, a godly desire must be expressed on the outside for that inner passion to be effective. Just imagine if Cornelius had thought about giving to the poor, but never did. Just about imagine if Cornelius thought about talking to God and praying, but never did. It wouldn't be effective, would it? It would just be something in here that never was expressed and never actioned and thus never, never fulfilled anything or created any effectiveness in his Christian life. So, so I, I, I've entitled my message today simply this, you've got to let it out. You've got to let it out. Because we can sit there, maybe in our comfortable zone, and maybe in our traditional zone, thinking, well, this is where I'm at, and this is how I do it. But maybe uh, there is a reality that you've got to go a bit past just sitting and thinking about it and actually expressing it. I think you need to frame your confession in the light of what God wants you uh, to have in life, and we need to be aware of that. And so letting it out, uh, you'll hear it a couple of times through this message. I see the Bible has a number of examples of the, uh, where outward actions or, as I said, expressions happen because of what's happening on the inside, okay? And I want to just share, let me give you some examples, okay? Are you with me so far? Um, let me give you some examples of letting it out. Uh, there is a psalm uh, called uh, Psalm 47. That's a song or poem that was written in the Old Testament time. And this is the words that you'll know some of you so well. And it says, shout unto the Lord, uh, shout unto the Lord with a voice of triumph, okay? Uh, interesting words. What's that all about? Because shouting, well, shouting is an outward expression of an inner confidence that God has won the victory. That's what it's talking about in Psalm 47. The, the, the thing that you're shouting about will usher in, more importantly, the king of victory. It's not talking about an earthly kingdom. It's talking about the presence of God, him being king in your life. And sometimes just that outward, you, you think it's as simple as that? Well, if there's an inner passion to give God praise, there needs to be an outlet for that actually to be praise. There needs to be an outlet for that actually to be an expression and it's through this wonderful little thing called the mouth with the inside there's a tongue. And you've got to express it. And so, there's, so the inward desire might be to praise God, but the outward action has got to actually doing it. And throughout the Psalms, there's a continual declaration of how we should do that. And one of the things it talks about is shout unto God with the voice of triumph. Now, if I was to give you a little history on this, many times in the Old Testament part of the Bible, there's a there are instances of the Israelites shouting and blowing trumpets at the same time. 
Um, and it was actually the practice of not just the Israelite, the chosen nation of God, but many nations, many different uh, tribes would practice this because the truth was whenever there was the coronation of a new king in a kingdom, they would always have people uh, aligning the streets, shouting, blowing trumpets, making noise and welcoming the new king as he arrived into that particular city. There was always that. You think about Jesus a week before he died on the cross. What did they do? He rode into where? Jerusalem, I believe it was. And I believe there was a crowd of people on the, side of the, uh, on the sides of the road into Jerusalem. And as, they, as they, he came in, uh, they started to shout and sing hallelujah and make a noise. And of course, they laid palm leaves down and things like that. And he rode in on a little humble donkey and they started to get excited. The people got excited. Why did they get excited? Because they'd heard he was king of the Jews. A new king was coming into Jerusalem. A coronation was about to happen, but it wasn't a coronation, it was a crucifixion, which is quite different to what they probably expected. But anyway, the point is, is that as Jesus rode in, they made a noise, they shouted, they declared. It's interesting because if you think about it, um, what did God instruct Joshua, who, who is, once again, Old Testament stories, what did he instruct Joshua do when they came across a city uh, called uh, Jericho, and God said, that city, uh, I want you to take it out. And God told them, he said, march around the city seven times. On the seventh day, at the end of the day, you've got to blow your trumpets and give a what? Shout. Give a shout uh, and watch what will happen. And the interesting thing I think you'll have to uh, come to understand, in other words, announce to Jericho that a new king has arrived, and not just Joshua as the leader of the Jewish nation at that time, but more, more importantly, God's kingdom had arrived and we're going to give a shout and we're going to blow some trumpets and of course, uh, we're going to announce something that's so wonderful and it's so incredibly important. And so we see a shout of victory is like an expression of the inner confidence that God has won the victory. And, and, and also, can I just say, sometimes I see that we've got to praise and shout even before we get to the victory. Because that's what happened at Jericho. Nothing had happened. And even as they shouted, maybe not at first anything had happened, but as they began, then the walls came down. And I want to say that there is an expression, there's an action that we need to take sometimes uh, in our lives. And sometimes it can involve just praising in whatever capacity that may, may be. And, and shouting can be one of those. And as you do, sometimes the walls of, of issues and struggles within our hearts can start to come down, folks. And, God can, and, the, the, and the, the reign of God can come in in our lives and He can start to rule and reign. See, there has to be an outward action, doesn't there? Come on, we've got to what? We've got to let it out. Because it never becomes anything possible until we start to maybe express it. Um, uh, I always remember uh, I was uh, in my, probably just 20. I think it would have been just 20 years of age. And, um, and I was, uh, and for a year I had a friend with a young lady in the church and and we'd been friends, and uh, after a year, we realized that we're kind of going, even though we're both Christians of the Lord, we're both going in different directions. I know some of you heard this, forgive me, but for the sake of the point, I just want to reiterate it again. And, 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 uh, we, and so we, I, I kind of, I said, I kind of uh, said, I think we're going in different directions, and in the end, we had a mutual agreement um, that 
it's cool. And now, now however easy now, uh, however easy that sounds like I've just de- described it, it, it wasn't really that easy at the time because it, it kind of, you know, when you, I suppose you call it breaking up. And when you've got a friend, whether it's, you know, just another, as a guy, another great guy, and, and you don't see that friend or they move away or, you know, they can be whatever it is. And for me, th- there was just a little bit of pain involved in that emotionally because I'm breaking up and we're still in the same church, but, you know, we're just um, trying to do this thing, be mature about it and, and move on forward. And, and so there was a little bit of pain in that. And even though I agreed to it and I thought, yeah, we, I think we need to go different directions where we're going. But um, the thing that really got to me after, within the month, she actually, there was a friend of mine in the church and she actually got him involved with him. And so she now went from me to him within a month and I thought, gee... You know, to be honest, it wasn't a problem for her. She didn't really do anything wrong, okay? It was just my heart that was breaking a bit. I thought, gee, well, what was my relationship with you worth if you can so quickly move to someone else? So please don't get the wrong attitude. She married that guy and she's still married and they're happily married, okay? Uh, so, <laughs> but I say all this because then I felt this element. I, I, I've tried to um, reflect on it and think, what was I feeling? And I suppose it's good sometimes just to take a moment and say, what, why am I upset with that? And I think there was this element of rejection that I had to deal with and this element of hurt. And so I remember um, one particular day, I'm driving in my old Holden and I'm driving down um, the highway past what now is uh, Night Owl Center and past Kentucky Fried Chicken and I thought, you know what, this is no good. I can't continue to live with this um, hurt here. I've got to get rid of it. I, and, and I didn't know it in hindsight. I didn't use the words let it out. But I said, God, I, all I know is I'm just going to praise you anyway. And I started to praise God. Thank God the windows were up because anybody else would have thought that his guy's gone half crazy. And I just started to shout, God, I just praise you anyway. God, I just thank you anyway. God, I believe you got my good in here. And I just started to declare it. I started to just praise him in a sense his presence in that car. And I want to say that it didn't happen straight away, but over the next days and weeks and weeks, I just totally came to a point where the, the hurt had gone and the pain, the rejection had been relieved from my soul. And I just was positive, you know, and I was so excited for her. In actual fact, I went to her, she invited me to her wedding. I went to the wedding. I was one of her ushers at the front door of her wedding. I was so excited to see her getting married to my good mate a good friend, and, and it's all gone on well. So I want to say, how can you get from a point of where you're feeling hurt and rejected to a point where you're just so um, at peace with life and at peace with other people? I want to tell you, it's something to do with that interaction with God, and sometimes it's just simply just exalting and praising Him and letting Him invade our spirit and our hearts and souls. Now, I want to just say that, you know, we, we, we're about to do some uh, programs, um, some workshops Please don't underestimate the reality of sometimes just sitting down because some of those workshops help you to see where you need to address some issues and some things happening. So I'm not trying to take away from that. I just want you to know, add to it. But there is a a level of relationship with the Lord that He can just do something when we let it out. Come on, let me keep going. There's a little book in the New Testament called James. It speaks about vervent prayer. James 5, 6 says, The vervent prayer of a righteous person, what? Avails much. That's the, that's the New King James Version, avails much. What's that all about? Well, vervent prayer is an outward expression of an inner humility that pushes a pride to the side and says, God, I need you. I need you. 
And the result is, is it avails much. And I've thought about that word and I thought, that's not a word I normally use in my everyday conversations. So, you know, when, when Michelle says to me, oh, how are you going today, honey? Oh, well, I'm availing. <laughs> just, doesn't, just doesn't fit, does it? So we don't really, to be honest, we don't know what it means, do we? <laughs> What's availing? Well, availing simply means this. Uh, it means makes, it makes availing. The literal translation means makes great power available. Makes great power available. So when I say, so here we go, when I have a desire, I just, and so, can I just say, sometimes you don't even have a desire to pray, but when you start, it's amazing how it keeps, <laughs> keeps on, it motivates you. It's the same with praise. You don't feel like praising, but you start, and my goodness, God can do something. Passion grows. And so James says, you know, the, 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 uh, he says, come on, fervent prayer, passionate prayer of a righteous person is, uh, is uh, an actual fact. Uh, uh, what did I say it meant? I've got to find it again. Makes great power available. And so as we pray, it's amazing. And as we cry out to God with a sincere heart, how he makes great power or power available. To Where is that power manifest? How does it work? How does it, well, it works in you. It'll work in the situation around you and wherever it's needed. It's amazing the Spirit of God and what He can touch and minister. But it's sometimes just letting it out, this fervent prayer. Let me go further. Jesus in the New Testament says, Speak to mountains. Matthew 17, 20 he says, If you have faith the size of a mustard seed, you can say, Mountains be moved and it will be moved. He didn't say, he didn't say that faith the size of a mustard seed can move a mountain. It says if you have faith the size of a mustard seed, you can say to the mountain, there's a difference. You have to speak to mountains. You've got to let it out. <laughs> See, because you're, you know, when you're willing to speak to mountains, it reveals the mustard-sized faith on the inside. So when you speak, it'll let it out, and your heart's desire agrees with the promise of God and removes the mountain. You've got to let it out. It's no good me walking through life going, oh, yeah, that'd be a good prayer. <laughs> gee, gee I, need, I need to remember that when, when I come to my prayer time, you know, next year when I pray, you know. <laughs> I better remember that point. No, no, no. Uh, you can do it right there. <laughs> you got to let it out. <sighs> Why would God be so interested in, in me letting it out? Why would he be so interested in you expressing it, letting it out? Um, because it puts, I want to tell you why, because it puts in you and me, a, it puts us in a place of overflow and provision for our lives. It puts us in an overflow and provision for our lives. Let me share one last story, Old Testament story, uh, but you'll be aware of it. There, there is a, um, a widow uh, comes to a prophet named Elisha. And says, you know what, I had a husband who worked for you, he was a prophet, he now he's died. I haven't had him because my husband's died, and that was a Jewish r reality. If, if a lady lost her husband, she had no form of income, and that's why in the New Testament, there was a great, wonderful outpouring of love for the widows, uh, because they had no form of income. And so um, I think we need to look after our widows still today, okay? Or those who are single, amen? Anyway, that's a side issue. But see, we see this widow, um, she, is, uh, she says to Elisha, you know, my husband's died. I have no money to look after myself and my two sons. She has two sons. And the debt collectors are coming and they're going to take away my two sons as payment for my debts. So she, she is desperate. It's not, 
it's not like she's just losing a house, which would be pretty bad, or just losing a car, you know, to the debt collectors. She's losing her two sons. So you, you can appreciate the heartache of that. They'll, they'll be enslaved uh, unless she's willing uh, to come up with some pay the debt. And she's begging to the prophet, please help me. Elisha then says, uh, what do you got? And she says, I got very little. And he says, well, what little have you got? And she says, I got a little flask of oil. He says, that'll do. Bring it to me. And it's got some oil in it. And so, he, he go, and so then he says, uh, he says, go to your neighbor's and get as many empty jars as you can. Now, that's a strange request. Would you agree? Um, he doesn't say, go to your neighbors and get them to give you food and money. No, he says, go and get empty jars. She must be wondering, what is he talking about? What's he thinking? Anyway, just be obedient. Uh, just be obedient. So she got so many empty jars, it just filled up her little house her, with her two sons. And so Elijah then says, take the oil and pour it into the first jar. Now, that is another strange request. Uh, because she's thinking, I have a little flask of oil, let's just say it's this big, and now I'm about to pour it into a jar that's this big. If you're talking about a water jar in Jewish times, they're reasonably sized jars. And so she's about to pour it into a, a bigger jar. It's, it would have been hard to start pouring because she's thinking it won't even fill the first jar. <laughs> and yet she starts to pour out, releasing out from the contents of her little flask into the big jar. She's pouring and pouring and possibly thinking it's about to run out, it's about to run out, but it doesn't. So she looks inside probably, I'm just giving you some um, filling in the gaps here. She probably looks inside her little jar and she's thinking, it's still got oil in there. I'll keep pouring, I'll keep pouring. Uh, she finally comes to the point where she has to stop pouring because the jar is full. I want to say, right there uh, is a miracle, folks. And this is not a fairy tale, it actually happened. So, so, so she, now she's got about 30 other jars sitting around her, so she pours <coughs> into the next one, and it fills up. And then she looks into the little oil flask of oil again, and it's still full, and she's going, hmm, <laughs> this is pretty good. So she starts on the next one and it fills and she stops looking in her little flask now because her faith is growing and actually starts to believe that her little flask will fill as many jars as long as there is enough, as long as there are flasks to fill, she'll be able to fill them. And so she comes to the point where she's filled them all up and she says to her son, go and get some more jars. And the son goes to the neighbors and they've all run out of jars. There's no more jars in the village. And so as soon as that happens... Um, you know, she just wants to keep pouring and pouring, but uh, she starts to believe and she starts to see it. So she fills all the jars and she says, go and get it. And then the Bible says, when there's no jars left, the oil stops flowing. Okay, now, here's the point. When the pouring of what's on the inside of you stops flowing, the provision stops. So, so what's on the inside of you, don't stop the pouring out. Don't stop the letting it out, because I want to say that's where the provision comes. That it, it comes as we continue to pour out, 
our life, as we continue to serve, as we continue to give to God, whether it's financial, whatever, as did Cornelius, the provision comes, the effectiveness comes. As we continue to believe and pray, as we continue to worship, as we continue to praise, as we do all these, can you see how important it is to let it out? Because when you stop the fervent prayer, stop the shout of victory or the praise, stop the thanksgiving, stop the giving and you stop the flow, you stop the provision, you stop the, the stop being an effective believer for God. It's got to come out. See, the person whose confidence in God maybe today has been eroded, maybe they need to give, you give a shout of praise so you can be reminded that God has the victory. Uh, maybe, maybe the person today, if you lost sight of God, you need to be in an environment of fervent prayer so that your eyes are lifted off yourself and back onto God. Maybe today you're the person who's overwhelmed by the circumstances of life and it, it would be good to remember that what mountains God has removed for you in the past and He can do it again through the declaration of faith. It's not just a blab it and grab it thing I'm sharing today. It's a heartfelt confession and expression of your faith through praise, prayer, worship, whatever it takes, giving, whatever it says. As you give out, let it out. It's amazing what God takes, your little flask of oil. You say, I haven't got much. He doesn't need much folks he just needs you and it's amazing what can be happen what he can do with just a little bit we have because it's not the amount if we haven't got little that's okay he just looks for the heart he see in the expression in the action he he'll know the heart attitude behind it the attitude will determine the action. Your expression, your expression, your outward expression of whatever it may be, often determines your inward position, where your heart is. And that's why we see the angel through uh, God, through the angel, said, Cornelius, I see your prayers and your uh, giving to the poor have come up as an incredible monument and offering to me. Because they're so effective. They're so wonderful. I could see. That's why he mentioned actions over attitudes. Let me finish with this today as uh, Liz comes. Um, I'm two minutes early. See, Liz, you know, that's cool. Yeah, yeah. Oh, you're yours. Yeah. Probably 70% of your people have heard this story. Okay, but you know, for the sake of something that I've realized again about this story, um, it, it's worth the repeating. Is that okay? <laughs> because it was such a critical moment in Michelle and my lives uh, at the start of, um, after four years of marriage, but at the, at the, at the birth of our first child. And, and what happened was, is that uh, Michelle's four months pregnant, we do the, the, um, we do the regular blood test, and then of course, uh, the blood test come back and the gynecologist uh, said, you know, your baby has a very, very high chance. And he, he, he had statistically, you know, it, it had reduced from like 100% to about, I mean, it reduced from maybe 5% to about 80 or 70% possibility of the child being disabled with. And he mentioned three things, but I do remember him saying um, uh, spina bifida and Down syndrome. And then he'd done an ultrasound and then he said, oh, yeah, yeah, it's got... The structures of this child's physique that actually talk about, he says, it's Down syndrome. But, you know, so, um, and then he said to us, so we, we kind of just sat there on the opposite side of the table, and, 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 and he said to us, well, you could just abort the child. He was, look, he was being a doctor. He wasn't being nasty. 
He's just been a doctor. Lacked in faith. But anyway, um, he's been a doctor. <laughs> he didn't. And he said, or you could do a test, and the test, uh, possibly 10% chance that you'll actually um, uh, miscarriage if we do these tests. So we said, thank you for the information. We went home, and uh, as I've said many times, we cried and then uh, uh, together, and then we cried out to God. So in the process of crying out to God, we said, God, and Michelle had some verses that he'll give us peace and never leave us, never forsake us. And, and over those coming days and weeks, we, we obviously re- gave it to God, fervent, passionate prayer. Uh, we, I suppose, I can't remember all the things that happened, but we probably praised him through it. But you know, it's interesting, over those weeks, we forgot. Now you say, did you really forget? Well, it just, do you know, there's some things that if someone asks you about it, you remember, but until someone brings it up, you don't remember it. It was like that with this child. So we never went back to the gynecologist. We never done tests. We never obviously aborted the child or anything like that. We felt it doesn't matter whether the child's normal or not normal or disabled. That's okay. We're going to accept that and we're going to run with it and we're going to move forward. We're certainly not going to take the life of this child. So we move forward and we forgot. And you, you might say, when the child was born, I cut to the chase, perfectly healthy, beautiful little girl. And you might have seen that little girl. Um, she was here uh, a couple of weeks ago. She's 31, and she's married with her own little boy now. Um, she's been a youth pastor at church. She's served, served in the church. She's just, God's done great things. And so I tell you this story, is you may say, well, that's the miracle. The child's whole and healthy and right and perfect and normal. No, that wasn't the miracle for us as much as the miracle was in hindsight. After I look back at the, that night when Michelle gave birth to the child, I had no, I never even had a thought about this child will be born dis- with disability. It's not that I didn't think it could be. I was just happy that I had the incredible peace of God in my heart about whatever happened. That was the miracle that for the last five or so months, I lived in this incredible, and Michelle, in this incredible element of peace and joy and love and went on with life as normal because of God's enduring strength, His power available to me on the inside for nobody to be consumed by the pressure or the stress or the heartache of possibilities, but just accept whatever is, God, I'm going to trust you. And that's incredible peace. Where does it come from? It comes from an expression of sometimes faith, expression of praise, expression of prayer. And you know what? He invests His power within us to cope with life. It's amazing. I want, I, see, I want to know just more than knowledge. I want to know more than just smarts. I want to know more than just God's Word. I want to know the power and the presence of God in my life as well. The Word of God shows it to me, but His presence fulfills that Word. This should be my heart attitude, but I've got to allow His presence to come into me and, and, and to express my relationship with Him. So I'm so thankful that we had a beautiful little girl, but I am so thankful now in hindsight uh, to think that all that peace He gave in those times. And, you know, um, our God, He says He'll never leave us. He'll never forsake us. But you've got to action some things, hey. You've got to action. You've got to express it. You've got to share it. You've got to believe it. Now, 
I understand you've got to get past just the rhetoric of, well, God, bless me today. God, thank you. Bless my parents. Bless my mum. Bless my dad. Bless whatever. Bless my girl. You know, oh, good night. Now, you've got to get past the rhetoric. There's got to be a heart attitude behind it, hasn't there? There's got to be a passion behind it. I, I don't think you guys probably struggle with that at all. We need uh, more of God in our lives. And you probably, I think God loves us to be real. When we're feeling down, tell him. <laughs> when we're feeling up, tell him. But at least start to talk to him. Can we, uh, as, as the team come, thank you, everybody. We'll close. And, uh, can we stand together as we close with this one last song this morning?